suicide game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Time can't be Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Morahan, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today we introduce Bjorn Borg, Why He Matters, Part 5, subtitled Mind Games and the Introduction of a Floundering Woman on a beach in Maui. And I emphasize the introduction. So hello and welcome back. And um, I'll start off by stating that we'd previously left off in our discussion at that precise moment in time in which Bjorn Borg had just lost to John McEnroe for the second consecutive year in the finals of the 1981 U.S. Open. McEnroe had now won the U.S. Open for the third consecutive year. Borg had shaken hands with McEnroe uh, post-match, headed toward, walked into, then walked out of the tunnel at Flushing Meadows, neglecting even to hang around for the trophy awards ceremony to follow. He got into a car and was whisked away, never again to return to Flushing Meadows. Bjorn Borg was both done and gone. And now I quote Jose N. Harris, a humble Detroit social worker who said, there comes a time in your life when you walk away from all the drama and people who create it. You surround yourself with people who make you laugh. Forget the bad and focus on the good. Love the people who treat you right. Pray for the ones who do not. Life is too short to be anything but happy. Falling down is a part of life. Getting back up is living. And, and who, who might argue, argue with Jose? I mean, it all sounds great. But what if Jose didn't understand the big picture? And why would he? He's a social worker in Detroit. But like Einstein, who did understand things and said that the state of happiness was a condition suitable for pigs, not humans, whom seek, whom seek something more than wallowing in swill. Maybe, maybe Bjorn Borg had a mind with designs more in line with Einstein than one Jose and Harris. I mean, I mean, I'm just asking. But, but then what from the standpoint of Bjorn Borg? What if Jose didn't understand the why of things? Well, what then? Neither, neither fans, fellow players, you know, competitors, the press, no one could understand why Bjorn Borg. No one could fathom why this possibly had happened. Why, oh, why had Bjorn Borg quit tennis? What was he going to do with the rest of his life? Well, indeed, these, these were valid questions, and the answers weren't apparent because nobody, nobody had in their possession the relevant data by which the phenomenon that had just occurred might be reasonably explained. 
No way. Absent knowledge of such relevant data, there existed no possible means by which to make sense of what appeared to be Bjorn Borg's bewildering behavior. And absent adequate data, efforts to explain human behavior, as John Lennon had put it in mind games, these are just then suppositions, groundless theories, conjectures, you know, baseless hypotheses, superstitions of no more value than tarot card reading and unsubstantiated rumors, the kind one can find spread by CNN, Fox News, and worse, MSNBC. It has been reported according to sources, you know, just unattributed nonsense. Without the facts, we cannot predict human behavior. We might think we know how people react. We might even have certain expectations as to how people respond, will respond under defined circumstances, given certain tendencies that they've exhibited in the past. But at Stanford, behavioral psychologist Philip Zimbardo, he of the famous Stanford Prison Experiments, he learned firsthand Human behavior is incredibly pliable, plastic. Human behavior, life, isn't, isn't a chemistry lab where we know for certain that when we mix chemicals X, Y, and Z in a beaker or a test tube, we always obtain a given predictable reaction. Sometimes, Human behavior justifies all prediction. With people, one learns only one thing, to expect the unexpected. And experience tells us this. Life is not the mean. We don't live on the mean. It's the deviation from the mean that matters. It's a sorting function. And no doubt the variability in the behavior, one person to the next, does make life very, very interesting. You know, even, even as far back as Aristotle, great, great genius, was questioned for no great talent ever has existed without a touch of madness. So you compound the inherent instability, you know, the volatility of people with the added variable of high pressure situational duress and multiply that by unknown past, unquantifiable life experiences, you know, metaphysical and emotional factors known only to an individual subject in question, then, then we shall witness outcomes, behaviors that we might never imagine possible. Borg? We can never know when people might just crack. Do the unexpected for reasons we just can't appreciate and never know. Before we get to the heart of the matter, you know, as Don Henley would later sing, which is what the hell happened to Bjorn Borg and exactly what is it that we might learn from his career and his life, uh, something that we promised way back in part one of this episode, episodic adventure, we'll get there. But again, as beseeched at one time of God by St. Augustine, but not yet. And, and beyond that, Bjorn Borg was loved by the public, simply loved by the public, in a way that Jimmy Connors, Ely Nastasi, or John McEnroe, you know, Borg's nemesis, could never be loved. 
I mean, those three guys, um, Connors, Nastasi, and McEnroe, these three guys had fans, admirers even, for sure. But they attracted far more detractors. Those three men had personalities such that they brought out the hate festering in the minds of lunatic, crazed fanatics. And, and, and they did so in a manner suggesting George Orwell's big brother, whom you know, organized those mandatory daily two-minute hate sessions for the populace in his dystopian novel 1984. And it shows that it wasn't simply an aberrant growth, a figment of an overly ripened imagination in the fertile mind of George Orwell. No, this is the way people are. You know, when Anglo-Irish um, satirist Jonathan Swift had written the words, when a great genius appears in the world, you may know him by this sign, that the dunces are all in confederacy against him. And Swift did not have in mind when he wrote those words, a man resembling Bjorn Borg. No, he did not. But what I have in mind is that any attempt that we might make to learn something meaningful from the life of Bjorn Borg, well, it requires we first understand other stuff. So I believe it will be important to introduce three stories first. So before we return to Bjorn Borg, I feel compelled to introduce these three stories to flush out important issues. At least I think they're important. Number one, me and a floundering, overweight woman on a beach in Maui. Number two, the sudden mid-season retirement announcement of Chicago Cub Hall of Famer second baseman Ryan Sandberg. And number three, John McEnroe and the day he ruse. He admits he truly lost the plot this particular day. And 39 years later, he states he has still not fully recovered from that moment. Not a single day has passed in his life, in which for a moment, his mind has not traveled back to that particular day in history, a nightmare from which he has yet to awaken and which haunts him still. Then, and only then, after we've covered these three stories, will we return directly to the case of Bjorn Borg. So I'll tell you right now, sort of, sort of an anti-teaser alert in case you might be frustrated or furious about this delay in getting to the main point, you know, or upset that there's a deviation from getting to the main point. We are moving forward from darkness toward the light. But it's it's way, way more complicated than you can imagine. And it's even worse than you think. We're not going to get back to Bjorn Borg in this episode. I can feel it. No, I know it. We won't get to Ryan Sandberg. In fact, there's simply no... There's not sufficient time. Not today, anyway. Hell, we won't even get to the important lesson I learned from that woman on the beach in Maui so long ago. So even those three stories will have to wait. All we can do is press on. So when we do return, we will continue with the story of that woman on that beach on that day in Maui. 
shift to the retirement of Ryan Sandberg and traverse the bipolar ups and downs of one John McEnroe. He blessed with the touch of a genius and madness on that tennis court. This, this is a journey like that of any trekker to the Mount Everest base camp, situated at the foot of um, the Kumbu Glacier, from which we will seek, you know, at the summit to see the likeness of Bjorn Borg. And getting there is not easy. All we can do is press on. That need to press on. There's a hand for us mere mortals if we ever hope, hope to understand true genius. The, the, the great English romantic artist and poet William Blake mythologized as, in his time, a madman, most likely suffering from mental illness. And, and though unstable, he was far from insane. Far from insane. As his contemporaries often describe him, he was pure, absolute, and, and an unadulterated genius of the highest order. And he wrote these lines, I was walking among the fires of hell, Delighted with the enjoyments of genius, which to angels look like uh, torment and insanity. So this is a hint for us, or should be a hint for us, that we need more information. Hey, thanks for, thanks for listening, and we'll be back. And we, we certainly hope that you will be too. Bye-bye. Beautiful 
smiling back at me The sea is boiling and I'm getting cold I've lost my sails, got to find a way home When did the skies change, when did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life When did the skies change, when did they turn back? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life On the high seas